Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and for the next two weeks, we are going to do a little throwback podcast to an old webinar that we did a few years ago with Nika Spaulding and Sylvia Bateman. And you'll have to excuse the audio quality. These were in the early days of us doing these things, and it kind of sounds like we're in a closet on a speakerphone because we were. <laughs> so anyway, but we have a lot of fun with it, just talking about some Christmas traditions and Santa Claus and when was Jesus born and Christmas trees and all that jazz. So, hey, we hope you enjoy the next couple of weeks. Welcome to the Christmas edition of the Equipping Webinar. We are excited that you're here. To my left across the table is Sylvia Bateman. Yes, Nathan, I just want to say you really slayed that uh, opening <laughs> intro right there. <laughs> Sylvia's like the queen of puns. Uh, yes, well, you um, got to be the queen of something. But so. we are wearing, what are, we're wearing Christmas Yes, I barely recognize stuff. Nathan. Yeah. He has a bearded ho-ho-ho hat. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a joke for us. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, yeah, so yeah. what does Santa suffer from when he gets trapped in a chimney? What does he suffer from? He suffers from claustrophobia. <laughs> Yes. That's a keeper. It's a keeper. Uh, I'll just introduce myself. So, Nika Spaulding, Director of Women's Equipping and Curriculum, and also one of the co hosts of this webinar. And I too have a joke. So, Sylvia, yes. what do you call chess players showing off in a hotel lobby? Wow, I have no idea. <laughs> Chestnuts boasting in an open foyer. <laughs> there we go. So, if you haven't noticed already, this is obviously a little different setup than our normal <laughs> webinar. Uh, rather than bringing in a guest, Nathan and I, in addition to Sylvia, will be walking through Christmas, essentially. And so asking questions of Christmas traditions, when was Jesus born? What about this old jolly Saint Nick? Is there any truth to this? And so while um, it's just the two of us, we thought we'd bring some whimsy and fun because that's part of the Christmas season. But, you know, yeah, Nathan, yeah. one of the things we do every year is we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. And yeah. I think as long as I've been alive and as long as you've been alive, that's always been the tradition and sort of left unquestioned. But the real question is, is that Jesus's birthday? And so why don't you jump in and start kicking us off with that information? Yeah, this is one of the more common, commonly misunderstood things about uh, Christmas. And uh, just primarily because both the day and the actual year are in are in question. And uh, the, the year is in question. I mean, actually, it's not even in question. I mean, there's pretty much like broad consensus among scholars that Jesus was not born in 1 AD. There's, there's no zero year, by the way. I mean, it goes from 1 BC to 1 AD. But that he was actually born sometime between 5 and 2 BC. Probably most accurate that he was born in the, uh, the winter months of 4 BC. So um, Herod the Great died in the spring of 4. And so uh, if Jesus' birth was early in the year, uh, in the winter months of 4, then his birth would have predated Herod's death by a couple of months. So, And Nate, how do we get it? So you sort of have always heard your whole life, that, you know, AD, BC, and even now people are no longer using that dating system, sort of using BC, CE yep. for common era, before common era. Yep. But AD, as as most people know, stands for Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. Yep. And so, how do we get that wrong, so to speak? Why? Why? Where does that tradition come from? And that was when Jesus was born. Yeah. So it it that has a long history as well. But the short of it is, uh, before this dating system, we went off the Julian calendar, which is a Ro- is a Roman calendar, 
And that was based off of the founding of the city of Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, so which which that dating system was called AUC, which is Anno Urbis Condite, which is before the founding of the city. And so in the 6th century AD, there was a pope who asked Dionysius, who was a Scythian monk, to adjust the calendar system so they didn't have to uh, date their events off of a pagan's, <laughs> yeah. you know, founding. Sure. And so, which... Uh, Gregory, Pope Gregory was the one that like pushed this forward, which is why it's called the Gregorian calendar. But the problem is, is that Dionysius missed, he was actually dating, he wasn't trying to date from Christ's birth, he was dating from Christ, from the resurrection, um, which we'll get to in a second. But because of that, because he was dating from, from Easter instead of Christmas, he basically missed, (laughs) he missed by, he missed by three or four years. And so that's why now is funny. Even a friend of mine last Christmas was like, hey, man, I always thought Jesus was born in like zero, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I'm just now finding out that that's not the case. Like, you know, and he was a little bit frustrated by that. But I was like, hey, it's OK. You know, it's not that's that's a common mistake. But the, the tradition of the early church and when Jesus was born being shifted because of the Gregorian calendar to between four and two B.C., it's interesting because very early on in the church, we don't have a lot of, of references to the birth of Jesus, primarily just because for the early Christians, they did not celebrate people's birthdays. And I, I think this is really telling. I think for the early church, they were far less concerned about people's birthdays. They were concerned with the day that people died, because for the early church, the day that someone died was considered their birthday because it it ushered them into the new life that's found um, in Christ, uh, the eternal life with Christ in heaven. And so, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, In fact, one of the very early church fathers, a guy named Origen, who was mid third century, like 250-ish, said this. He said, only sinners celebrate birthdays in this way. You know, (laughs) like he's talking about uh, pagan kings and other uh, rituals that people did to celebrate birthdays. And so we don't have a ton of evidence about the actual birth of Jesus, because frankly, the early church just didn't care. They, it See, I just assumed he, that's why he was always mad at his disciples is because they wouldn't get on a birthday <laughs> present. You know, they're walking along and Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, who do you say that I am? And he answers them. He's like, when's my birthday? You know, under his breath, but it's good information yeah. to know that maybe yeah. something different. I, I want to go back and just double click on, you know, the early church celebrating people's really their death, yeah. not their birth. Yeah. And think about the implications that has for what we truly believe entering into eternity is, mm-hmm. you know, I think mm-hmm. um, certainly there's a time for mourning and I, I don't mean to make light of death, but there is a sweetness. I think that can, as Christians, we can hold on to that. Um, we, we should take Paul at face value because yep. Paul is ultimately inspired by the word of God and which says to die is gain. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a real value in hope and promise in a Christian's death that they're ushered into new life. And yep. I think that's a sweet thing that the early church did. Personally, I enjoy celebrating my birth as well. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Birthdays are typically more fun yeah. than, but if you want to throw a party <laughs> on the anniversary of my death too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's legitimate. And that was one of the things that was challenging for me as I was looking at this was especially it, we see, in, we see Jesus in John 11 when he's encountering uh, Martha after Lazarus dies mm. And he, there's the famous quote that one of the I am statements where um, she says, yeah, I know my brother will, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
And Jesus looks back on her and he's like, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And the one who lives because of me will never die. Right. So there's that there's this interesting statement where Jesus is like, hey, um, you're going to live even if you die. And, and because of me, you'll actually substantively never die. Which for the Christian, for those who, are, who have found new life in Christ, who have entered into eternal life now, death is less a, it's not, there's no finality to yeah. it at all. Like it's, it's a, it's a door. It's a doorway into what life was, was always supposed to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which is really interesting, but, but anyway. So do you um, think the early church celebrated Tabitha's birthday twice? And <laughs> I always think when Peter brought Tabitha yeah. back from the dead in Acts, she looked at him and said, boy, you better let me go on to heaven. I know, right. Or, la- or Lazarus <laughs> or the widows. Yeah, I mean, sure, um, any sure, of those sure. people. Sweet. Um, so anyway, but back to Christmas. So Clement of Alexandria, who was a very early father, predates the Council of Nicaea. So late second century, which would have been like 150 to 200, basically, A.D., um, was the first one to actually say anything um, in his writings about the birth of Jesus. And interestingly, he only talks about it in reference to other people who were more fringe type people in the early church. Like, I'm not going to go into what all these people believe, but like Montanists who are kind of like the, the first Pentecostals, you know, uh, the Marcionites, some of the Gnostics who celebrated their feast or their their Christmas feast they celebrated on January the 6th. Now, because Clement of Alexandria, which in his name, right, um, was from Alexandria, Egypt, he was dating things uh, according to an Egyptian calendar. And so he says a different date, but when you translate it, you either get, uh, well, three different dates. You either get January the 6th, or you get like May the 20th, or you get November the 18th, right? <laughs> so it's like, well, which one was it? You know, it's it literally is all over the map. And so there are ways of figuring out um, what Clement was was saying, given that the fathers who followed him latched onto some dates that reinforce, I think, what, what Clement was trying to say. I, I think probably based on what Clement was saying, the most solid date that we can look at that the Eastern Church actually grabbed hold of and ran with is January the 6th. Mm. I personally believe that that probably has the most historical reliability to it um, of, of January I the 6th. I want to believe that because January yep. birthdays are the best. So. <laughs> When's your birthday? January 15th. So <laughs> just throwing that out there. Yeah, that's tight. It would be fun to share the same month with our Savior. <laughs> nice. Of course, I'll have to wait till heaven, it sounds like. Cause, mm, yeah, yeah, it yeah, seems like yeah. kind of what you're getting at is it really wasn't as big of a priority. It totally wasn't. And so yeah. it speaks to a little bit of... The, the humble means mm-hmm. uh, in which Jesus was born. I mean, we know the story as some of it, you know, cultural and some of it actually from scripture, born yep. in a manger, um, no room in the inn, you know, and, and even at his birth, you know, the Magi come later, you mm-hmm. know, the Magi come and then present the gifts to this king. And so you have this, this king of the universe coming down into a lowly manger in such an insignificant moment and in some ways that we don't even have it marked on a calendar. Yeah, and yeah. so... Would you want to speak to that? Yeah, at all? yeah, and I think too, it's a it speaks to what, like we've said. I mean, that the, the early church, you know, even Jesus himself, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John three, where he's talking about being born again, there's this emphasis on this other birth, and and it's totally confusing to Nicodemus because he's like, how do you enter into the womb a second time? You know, yeah. and Jesus is like, dude, you're missing it. Like I'm talking, I'm I'm trying to tell you about a, a redeemed life, a life that's lived in the way that it was always supposed to to have been meant to live. 
And so for sure, yeah, in the early church, the, um, the focus was on um, a Christian's death, which was considered their, their new birth um, in, into the life of God. And so, but a lot of times people will ask, well, you know, if it really was, if the actual historical date really was January the 6th, then why, how in the world do we get December the 25th? Yeah, you know, why, why are we um, doing, why are yeah, we celebrating? names three dates and yeah. none of them are, are December, December 5th. 25th. Yeah, right. absolutely. So I would say this is that there is broad uh, agreement among fathers that come either during the Nicene period, which is in the fourth century and after on December the 25th. And I think the reason why is because they, according to the fathers, like significant people could only live a whole number of years. So it's not, if you had a significant person, you couldn't live like 28 years or 29 years. Like it was either 10, 20, 30, like these, these types of numbers. And they were also trying to apply a lot of theological significance to the dates that they were going for. And so what they ended up doing was formulating this, this way of, of figuring this out that started with the Annunciation, which is the angel's pronouncement to Mary that you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll call him, you know, Emmanuel. And that happened traditionally that happened on March the 25th. That's the, the spring equinox, mm-hmm. which is like the you know first day of spring. It's, it's new life. It's considered even by some, it's considered the, the anniversary of the, the creation of the world. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of theological significance to March the 25th. And so that's where those guys dated the conception of Christ. It's still celebrated today. People celebrate the conception of Christ on March the 25th. Well, nine go, go forward nine right. months, yeah. right? And what do you have? December, December 25th. the 25th. That's and great. so that that's why these guys latched on to December the 25th as, as the birth of our Lord. I mean, a, a Tertullian Hippolytus, who is a guy that actually talked about this, he, he uh, talks about this quite a bit um, and spells it out exactly what I just said. Actually, not what I said. I'm just quoting him, right? And then John Chrysostom, Jerome, Augustine, all those guys is December the 25th. And it's really clear that they're doing this for theological reasons and not necessarily like uh, historical ones. And so it's funny, uh, uh, someone uh, that I ran across in researching for this uh, said, uh, quote, many efforts to confirm the date of Christmas as historically uh, reliable resembles lawyers defending bad cases with poor arguments, (laughs) you know, end quote. And so it's a it's interesting because it's all over the map. But at the end of the day, I think we can understand that because of theological significance, there's there's this emphasis on March the 25th, the spring equinox. And then uh, nine months later is actually in some calendars um, is close to or even the day of the winter solstice. And so that that ends up being December the 25th. And so that's where when the Christmas feast began to be celebrated in history, it they latched onto that date, and we've had it pretty much ever since. So, so Nate, go ahead and tell us too, because I thought this was interesting as we were researching all this. How did we get the twelve days of Christmas? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 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 Eastern Church, as I said, if you know much of church history, you know there were there were schisms, um, and the Eastern Church and the Western Church broke off from one another. They actually had different popes. They differed from one another theologically in some way, but still held to the, to the essentials of Christianity. And the Eastern Church is the one that latched on to January the 6th. Um, they, they did so, and still the Armenian Church today still celebrates Christmas on January the 6th. But they also celebrate 
the Magi or the three or the traditionally the three wise men. We don't know how many there were, but the wise men who came to Bethlehem on January the 6th. And then also January 6th is also the traditional date of Jesus's baptism, which started his public ministry. Mm -hmm. And so January the 6th is a really significant date. For, for all those reasons. And because of that, especially the Armenian church and the Eastern church for a long time, celebrated all of those things on the same day. Now, the Western church um, obviously grabbed hold of, because of all the guys that I mentioned previously, yeah. um, which was centered in Rome, the Western church grabbed hold of this December 25th date, but still retained the Magi, the wise men coming to Jesus on January the 6th. And so there was a, there was the birth of Jesus and then 12 days later, there was the celebration of the wise men coming to give him gifts. Yeah. And so that turned into a, hey, I'm going to give you a gift on a, a one a day for the 12 days of Christmas. You know, on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me right. a partridge in a pear tree. What the heck is that? You know, <laughs> but um, and they and they go through this song. And I, I was just funny. I was like, man, on the you know, maybe on the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me some clarity on all of this. <laughs> Because it can be really confusing um, when you start to get into how all the traditions overlap and intersperse with one another. But basically, it's because of uh, the birth of Jesus being celebrated and then 12 days later, the celebration of the wise men coming to Jesus and in the Armenian church, the the baptism and and public ministry of Jesus. I love it. I was just throwing that out there in case anybody wants 12 gifts. They can (laughs) one a day. Yeah, one a day from the 20th to the January. You know, it's it's funny because, too, there's a we'll get to this in a minute. But um, a lot of people for a long time would not take their Christmas decorations down until January the 7th Mm. because of this, um, that, that January 6th was the last day of Christmas. Here I, I am know. judging people for having. A I know it's funny. Like, yeah, I mean, New Year's comes, and if you haven't taken your Christmas tra- decorations lazy. down, you're like, oh man, you know. Although this year I'm making a pitch to keep it up year round. I don't think my roommates are going to go for it. Uh, yeah, probably not. Let All me right. let me say one more thing yeah. about this because there's a popular um, tradition, or not not even a tradition. It's not it's not really a tradition. It's just a uh, misunderstanding. There's a popular misunderstanding about. December the 25th, uh, the church overlapping or um, trying to use that day in order to take away a, a pagan holiday that the Romans used to celebrate. Yeah, so I've heard that, right? Yeah, yeah. so sort of pagans on December 25th would celebrate a pagan holiday. So the yep. church decided to steal the day, turn it into Christmas, and bada bing, bada boom, that's how we got Christmas yeah, to try right. and draw people towards Christianity. So true, not true? No, I mean, not true at all. I mean, there's a, so the feast of uh, Saturnalia, which is the Roman god of agriculture, actually was is, was not even celebrated on December the 25th. And so there's this whole idea of uh, let's, let's, you know, let's grab this and, and, and kind of import Christian meaning into a pagan holiday. Um, so we, we definitely can't say that of, of the Roman god of agriculture. But then there's, there's another one that probably people are more familiar with which is um, the feast of Natalis Invicti, or or the the unconquered sun god of the Romans, and man, just just because it's the sun god, a lot of times Christians will pull into that. Hey, you know, Christ is the sun, right. the son of God. There's right. there's just different types of of wordplay there that just have no meaning to them. And so the the re- now I will say, the feast of Natalis Invicti is on December the twenty fifth. The problem with saying that it was inf- that the Christians stole it to infuse it with a Christian meaning 
is that the tradition of Christ's birth being on December the 25th predates yeah. the naming of that feast. <laughs> they can't go back so in time and steal if anything, it. Yeah. it would be the other way around. Right. The pagans are trying to take, you know, but the reason that is, is because of the, the winter solstice. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're celebrating that aspect of the the uh, calendar. So mm. anyway, well, perhaps as synonymous with Christmas as Jesus Christ is probably Santa Claus, sadly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is one of those things that obviously Santa Claus is inescapable this time of year. And um, regardless of sort of how your family handles, handles the Santa Claus character, he's certainly prevalent in pop culture. You see him at the mall, he's everywhere. And so then the question was just, where did he come from? Was he a real guy? And what's up with Rudolph? No, I'm kidding. We're not going to cover Rudolph. But, <laughs> Um, but so Santa Claus is in some ways a real guy. And so we'll talk about how he went from being a real saint to, to the jolly man in, in red clothes. But St. Nicholas is a, a saint from the third century. Um, he grew up in what would be southern modern day coast of Turkey. Um, and as the legend goes, and I say legend because the difficult thing about St. Nicholas is you try to find as much information as you can about him, but there's just not a ton. Yeah, yeah. If you're a historian, solid evidence that you put your finger on and go, that that proves to me this. You know, a lot of it is circumstantial or legend and myth and doesn't necessarily mean they're not true. But I'm not going to sit here and say, I know for certain this yeah, guy did totally. these things. It's and so, well yeah, so as the legend goes and what we think is true yeah. of of this St. Nicholas is that he, as a young man, his parents died probably around teenager age and he was left with a large inheritance. So he's a very wealthy guy. Um, and one of the most popular stories about him is he's in town and he knows about a man who has three daughters and they're poor. And so they can't pay a dowry. And because they can't pay the dowry, the girls are probably going to be sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. So St. Nick takes some gold and he puts it in a bag and legend goes one of two ways. Either he chucked it through a window or he threw it down the chimney. Um, but her stockings, Zelda's daughter's stockings were drying near the fire and the, the money bag fell near the stockings. And mm. so, and then they discovered later that it was St. Nick who had done that and saved them from being sold into slavery. And so thus was born this tradition yeah. of putting out your stockings near the fireplace and, and St. Nick would visit you in the night and bring you a piece of gold or something like that, which is funny because I grew up in a house where my mom would put an orange and it was yeah. always cold, which meant she grabbed it that morning, stuck <laughs> it in our stockings. And I was like, why an orange? And she's like, because we always put oranges in. And then I learned that the reason why we do that is because over time, rather than actually sticking gold in kids' stockings, because it's unrealistic, yeah. people would yeah. put gold balls or yeah, gold spheres. Yeah. And so yeah. oranges, grapefruits, things yeah. like that. So I was laughing at how we've taken this gold tradition, gold-colored, yeah. cylindrical fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and throwing it in a sock. Yeah. Um, and yet the tradition continues on. And so he he eventually became Bishop of Mira. Um, everything I've said so far is probably true based on some of it. He was known for love of children and, and oddly enough, just a really deep concern for ships and sailors. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which is part of how St. Nicholas spread. He wasn't just important in Turkey, yeah. but these sailors would go out throughout the world. And so you have in Athens and you have in Constantinople and all of these places, St. Nick being a guy that was revered because here are these sailors and the, and the road <laughs> Aka yeah. the sea was treacherous, yeah. and I think today in Greece he's still the patron saint right. of sailors. Absolutely, um, in, in Greece. So you're absolutely right. They have a chapel there as well, um, and there's even a story in Athens where there were three theological students that were traveling along, and they stayed at an inn, and the innkeeper was wicked and actually murdered them. Mm. Um, and then Saint Nick apparently came to the same inn and then called out the innkeeper and then prayed that God would bring these kids back to life, and He did. Mm. And uh, and so you. That most people agree is whimsy and, and fairy tale, yeah. but it became this. I mean, Saint Nick became this character. He really cared about kids. He really cared about sailors. Um, there's a 
personal story that I love that there's absolutely no way to substantiate. I do not think it actually happened, but supposedly St. Nick was uh, invited to the Council of Nicaea. And at the Council of Nicaea, the church is trying to stop heresy. I mean, that's part of what yeah. they're doing there. So there's a guy, Arius, who's apparently putting forth heresy. And the story is that St. Nick was, marches he down. He was. That was not yeah. the, that is an actual <laughs> yeah. historical thing that happened. But the whimsy in the, the fiction is St. Nick runs down front and just slaps him across the face. Uh, so you Santa can, Claus. Yeah, Bam! Which is a very different image of Santa Claus than the one I grew up with is going around slapping heretics in the face, which awesome. I think we should frankly bring that back. But totally um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when he probably suffered under Diocletian and, and probably was then in prison and then they believe it was released. But to the best that we can figure out, was a real man, really did care about children, really was generous with his money, very generous. To, some say gave it all away. Some say gave most of it away. Um, lived his life in the pursuit of godliness, lived his life in the pursuit of being Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting how this character has been sort of transformed from yeah. um, a saint who was, who was adamant about following Christ, following the teachings of Christ, to sort of this over-materialized you know, jolly fat man in a red suit. Yeah, so, so talk to us about that. I mean, how how in the world do you go from a saint in the early church, very early yeah. in the church, to a a fat elf in a red <laughs> yeah. suit that, yeah, it's good. that is that handing travels out the world presents and, to everybody? Yeah. yeah, what in the world? So St. Nicholas was revered. And as you mentioned earlier, throughout church history, there's there's changes that happen. So during the Reformation, suddenly we have people like Luther and Calvin who are a little bit more weary of saints, which is a part of our tradition now. You know, we don't have saints and in, in, at Watermark. And and so what happened is rather than wanting to carry on the story of saints, what Martin Luther did is he came up and he said, hey, look, instead of St. Nicholas giving gifts on Christmas, why don't we say the Christ child gave gifts? And so he used Christ Kindle, Christ Kindle, which now is modern day Chris Kringle, which yeah. the irony is that Chris King- Kringle is a synonym for who? Yeah. Santa. Santa Claus, <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure, 34th Street. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Martin Luther, the German, is rolling over in his grave right now. But you see the Dutch that continued the story of St. Nick's and they call him Sinterklaas, which is where Santa Claus get the name from, Sinterklaas. Well, after Americans started colonizing America, suddenly they wanted to return back to their roots. Hey, we miss some of our European culture. We miss some of that. And so they looked to this old St. Nick character to bring over to America. And so Sinterklaas, Santa Claus, made his way over to America. Um, but what we saw was obviously became commercialized. You start hearing yeah. this story, the night before Christmas yeah, tale. Christmas, yeah. And so now you've got this story where he is dressed up in this red velvet suit and he's got white trim, much like Nathan's hat today. Um, and then suddenly <laughs> oh, oh, oh. this story that was told of how he has reindeer and he's traveling the world and handing out gifts really became the gold standard for mm-hmm. who is Santa. And yeah. so in a lot of ways, what started out as a very different path for Santa and Santa <laughs> Claus totally. and Chris King well, to where Martin Luther, I know, I mean, with his sharp tongue, was just like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> he walks into Macy's. Yeah. But there was a real commercialization yeah. from department stores who were really trying to latch on to, I mean, that's how, that's how Rudolph came yeah. about was, I mean, those are marketing Pools. Absolutely. Some yeah. some executives in the top floor of a building yeah, totally. came up with, hey, what is an effective way to sell merchandise? Yep. And and frankly, they nailed it. I mean, totally, you think totally. about um, whatever ad campaigns were famous when we were kids. It's Mikey. He likes it. You know, we sort yeah, of remember them, but yeah, you don't see yeah. them on the news or in television anymore. And yet 
every year without fail. Santa Claus is in our malls yep. across yep. the Macy's parades and he's showing up. Yeah, it's become so deeply ingrained in our culture that to even try to remove him would be like so un-American. Not just, yeah. I mean, take Christianity out of it. Absolutely. Like now you're talking about America, you know, <laughs> like it would be so un-American that people would stone you. Yeah. <laughs> throw stones. Well, at and interestingly, you. you have even those who would not profess a faith in Christ would still in some ways profess a faith in, yeah, in, in Santa. Santa. It becomes yeah. a, yeah. it's so inbred in our culture that you think about it, you send your kids off to public school, they're going to hear about Santa. Mm-hmm. I mean, you send your kids off to anywhere and they're going to hear about Santa. And so you're right. He is in some ways risen to as much fame, sadly, as the Christ child. Mm-hmm. But I think what's wonderful about Santa is what you hope is although it has been commercialized and probably because of the roots that he has to St. Nicholas is there's still something wonderful about gift giving. Um, I think what's difficult is then you, it kind of turned into this, if you're naughty and nice, and we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that with Elf on the Shelf, but I think what for parents, cause that's the question I get a lot and I'm not a parent. And so I'm always like punting on yeah. this question, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and, cause I do, I, Hey, I, I can absolutely empathize with a parent who goes, Hey, I don't want to lie to my kids. And Santa's yeah. obviously not real. And yeah. I think that's what makes the real story of St. Nicholas so sweet mm. is you can really bring that back into it yeah. and talk about this real man who was very generous, who looked after children. Um, he's not, he's not in heaven looking over you. Yeah. I mean, you don't yeah. have to make it spooky and weird where your yeah. kids are not only afraid of the Holy ghost, but now St. <laughs> Nick. Um, but I do think to say, Hey, there's a whimsy and there's a fun about Christmas and that's, that's okay to have whimsy and fun. It's why we go to the movie theaters and we don't go thinking that's a real story, but we go going, Hey, I'm willing to suspend my reality for a second and enter into imagination so that we can create whimsy and fun during this holiday season. Thanks for listening to the equipping podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then subscribe, tell your friends about it. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Peace.